Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, please let us know at the end. Uh, we'd love that to be our gift to you. And, and leaders, if, if you see people that are having trouble figuring out where that is, please help them. Ephesians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, tonight I want to talk to you guys about prayer and the Word. About prayer and the Bible. And the reason that we're talking about those two things is because we're doing a series for the month of May called Rooted. And that series name gets its, uh, gets its inspiration, gets its verse from Colossians 2. And I'm going to read that and then I'll, I'll show you guys how that connects. So it's Colossians 2, 6-7. through 7. Remember, you guys are going to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm in Colossians 2. So Colossians 2, 6-7 through 7 says this, Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Another way to kind of paraphrase that verse, a way to shorten that verse in in Colossians 2 is to say, salvation is not static. Salvation is not static. And when I say static, I mean like water in a cup. It just sits there. It doesn't move. That's what static is. Salvation doesn't work like that. Salvation is not static. If you think back to the verse, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. So there's salvation right there. You have received Christ as Lord. But it doesn't stop there. So walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up and established in your faith. You continue to get to know him. Salvation is not static. It doesn't just stay there. You don't just get saved and then you just check out and then you just drop off. That's not how salvation works according to the Bible. And we have this thought process in our head of, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I got saved when I was eight. And you haven't been in church since you were eight. You've just dropped off. And now salvation is not dependent on church attendance. Of course not. But there is a growth that begins to take place once you become a Christian. If you do become a Christian. There's a growth that begins to take place. It's at different rates for different people. But there is still a growth that happens in our hearts when we become Christians. We begin to get rooted in Him. In John chapter 4, when Jesus goes to the woman at the well, some of you guys have heard this, the woman at the well is going to get water, of course. And Jesus says to her in John 4, 14, he says, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Here it is. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So when you become a Christian... And this is just kind, of, just kind of setting this out. When you become a Christian, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are given this living water in your heart. That's Jesus. He is the living water. He comes into your heart, and it's not static, like, like a lake, like water in a lake or water in a cup. It just sits there. It's a spring. It's like a geyser and Yellowstone, you know what I'm talking about? And it just shoots up, and it continues to rise up and up and up in your heart, and it continues to change your heart. And as your, well, what does that look like? Well, as your heart begins to change, you begin to look at your sins differently. You don't just turn from them all at once, but you begin to look at them differently. The sins that you used to love and that you used to chase after, you now look at differently. And over time, as this water continues, this living water continues to build in your heart, your heart continues to get further and further away from this sin. And as the water continues to go up, you continue to be rooted more and more deeply in Jesus. You see, there's a growing that takes place when we become a Christian as we get more and more rooted as the living water rises further and further up. Um, Okay, so 
how does that happen? Like that's, you know, that's a cool analogy with the water and the roots and I'm, I'm there. But how, what does that look like in real life? How do we become rooted in him in real life? How do we get rooted? Well, Ephesians 3 has the answer. If you're in Ephesians 3, look at verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14. And this is Paul talking. He says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. Okay, let's start over there. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. What is that? Everybody can kind of figure out what that is. When you bow your knee before God, it's prayer. Paul is praying. Um, It says that he would bow the knee to pray. So Paul is praying, all right? Verse 14. For this reason. All right, well, what's the reason? Why is he praying? Look down to verse 17, and we'll find out why. And remember, our theme is rooted. Ephesians 3, 17 says this. So for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you may be rooted and grounded in love. I bow my knee before the Father. I pray so that you can be rooted. You have your ticket so that you can get into the game. If you don't have your ticket, you cannot get into the game. I am praying so that you may be rooted. If there's no prayer, you're not going to be rooted. You cannot expect to be rooted in Christ if there is no prayer in your life. It won't happen. It won't take root. It won't stick. The soil won't stay loose so that it can continue to grow. Prayer is how we stay rooted. Okay, Prayer is how we stay rooted. I bow my knee before the Father that you may be rooted. We pray to stay rooted. So we're going to talk about prayer first. Uh, I was at Zaxby's several, several weeks ago, I guess now. And you know how Zaxby's has like, it has like, you know, basketball jerseys on the wall and football helmets and like pictures of famous celebrities. They have quotes on there too. And one of the quotes is by a guy named John Wayne. And, it's, and it goes, um, life is tough. Life is tougher if you're stupid. And I like that quote a lot. And it makes a lot of sense. And, and prayer is kind of like that. Prayer is very difficult and frustrating. It's why a lot of people don't pray, and we're going to get into that. Prayer is very difficult. Prayer is even more difficult if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know how to do it. How does it work? What's going on? So we're going to lay a basic principle of prayer tonight that I hope will help you guys so that you can begin to pray. And the more we pray, the more rooted we become. Does that make sense? So we're going to cover prayer first, and then we'll see how the Bible works its way into this. Um, The first and most important thing to me in terms of praying, in terms of your prayer life, is having one. That's the most important thing. But not just having one, okay? Setting a place and a time. Setting a specific place and a specific time for prayer. It's alarming to me, and, and I'm right there with you guys. It's alarming to me how few people actually do this. They don't have a set place and a set time to pray. And we're going to dig into how important this is. Turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, and you guys will be in verse 37. Luke 21, 37. And while you guys are turning there, I'm going to go to Luke 5, 16. And I'm going to read it, and I'm going to connect it to the verse that you guys are going to. So one more time. You guys are in Luke 21, verse 37. And we're looking at setting a time and a place and our example, of course, is Jesus. So Luke 5.16 says this. I'm going to read, I'm going to talk, and you just stick with me, and then I'll connect it. Luke 5.16. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness 
to pray. Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. This word often, it's like forming a habit. It's not just he would do it every now and again. It was his habit. He would go into the wilderness and pray. It wasn't just a sporadic Every time he was in his car, every time he had a test, every time he you know, had a sporting event that he was nervous about or a concert that he was nervous about, it wasn't just sporadic when he needed it. Often, habitually, he would go, that's as in a habit, he would go to the wilderness to pray. And Luke likes this idea that he would often do it. Like, you don't, why would you, you don't have to say that. Why would you just say, he went to the wilderness to pray? Why did you say often? Luke kind of hammers in on this, and we'll see. If you guys are in Luke 21, 37, which I've said like 37 times, look at where it says, verse 37 of Luke 21. Now, during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. So that's the Mount of Olives. Some of you guys have heard of that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you guys have heard of that. This is where that is. So now, it gets more specific. It's not just often that he does it. Well, how often? What does that mean? He's more specific. Every evening, so that's your set time that Jesus uses. Every evening, and then he has a set place. He has the Mount of Olives. He would go there every evening to spend time with his father, to rest and recharge. It's where he had his quiet time where he would discern what the Lord wanted him to do. Okay, Every evening, he would go to the Mount of Olives to pray. Now, this is where this gets important, and this is where it gets kind of cool. Flip over in your Bible or scroll down in your Bible, trying to stay relevant, to Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. Luke twenty two thirty nine, And so remember, every evening, Jesus is going to the Mount of Olives. Luke twenty two thirty nine, And this is, this is the last night of Jesus' life in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying with his disciples. Twenty two thirty nine, And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. So one more time. And Jesus came out and proceeded as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. So this is the last night of Jesus' life. This is where he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, as was his custom. He would go to the Mount of Olives. This is, it's a very intense night in Jesus' life, the most important night of Jesus' life, and he's sticking to his routine. He's sticking to spending time with his Father, as was his custom. Now, this is what this is. Um, this is where Judas and his men capture Jesus. You remember this? You've heard the story. You've seen it in the movies. This is where they capture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? This is where Judas does it. Have you ever wondered how does Judas know where to find Jesus? Because you think back, they have the Last Supper, right? They have the Last Supper, and Jesus says to Judas, go do what you need to do. And so Judas leaves the Last Supper, and he goes to get all these men to betray Jesus. Well, Jesus, and we just read it, Jesus and his people go to the Mount of Olives to pray. How did Judas know where to go? As was his custom every night. Judas, the Last Supper, evening has come. Everyone's wondering where Jesus is. Judas knows that it's evening, and he says, I guarantee you, I know where he is. This is how important, this is what a big priority quiet time with the Father was to Jesus. This is how big of a priority, how much love he had for his quiet time, for his prayer with the Father. Even even his enemies knew where to go. Even his enemies knew where he would be. He, He was okay with his enemies knowing time and a place. When I first got here, Bob made me read, and I'm glad he did, Bob made me read a chapter from this book, and, and the chapter is called Tyranny of the Urgent. And 
Tyranny of the urgent is about, and it sounds really fancy, but it really is just about how we're busy all the time, how we're always working and we're always stressed and we're always moving. Listen to what this says in Tyranny of the Urgent. On the night before Jesus died at the Mount of Olives, so this is what we just read. On the night before Jesus died at the Mount of Olives, he made an astonishing claim. In his great prayer in John 17, he says to his father in prayer, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. We wonder how Jesus could have talked about a completed work. His, his ministry was just three years long and seemed all too short. A prostitute at Simon's banquet had found forgiveness and a new life, but hundreds of others still worked this terrible job. For every ten withered muscles that Jesus had flexed back into health, a hundred more remained sick. The blind, the maimed, the diseased abounded throughout the land. Yet on the last night, with many urgent human needs unmet and useful tasks undone, the Lord had peace on the Mount of Olives. He knew he had completed the work God gave him. This is the last paragraph. What was the secret of Jesus' ministry? We discover a clue in Mark's report of what happened after a very busy day of teaching and healing. Mark one thirty five says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Um, I talk about, you know, hey, Jesus did it. Jesus, Jesus made his quiet time a priority. You should too. And this is always the response. Well, I'm not Jesus. I can't do that. You're right. You're not Jesus. You don't have hundreds of people running to you, begging you to heal their dying baby. You don't have hundreds of paralyzed people being brought to you with this faint hope that maybe they will be able to walk again or be able to hear for the first time. And yet with all of those things to do, Jesus still says, no, not until after I've had time with my Father who is in heaven. This was how important it was for Christ to spend time with his Father in heaven. Okay, look at me. You guys are all very stressed and very tired, especially especially this time of year, but really all the time. Really all the time. This, this time of year, just kind of, they put a magnifying glass to it and they can really see how tired and stressed you are. Listen to what I'm about to say. Because half of you are going to check out because you're going to be like, this is not true, and maybe we'll hook the other half. The reason you are so tired all the time and stressed all the time is not because you have too much to do. It is because in all of these things that you are doing, which are not bad, you still have not done the thing that your heart really wants to do. Let me say that again. The reason you are so tired and stressed all the time is not because you have a lot of things to do. It's because you have not done the thing that your heart really wants to do. Notice I didn't say, just do less. I didn't say that. I actually gave you another thing to do. But if you will do the thing that your heart desires the most, it'll help. Turn to Luke chapter 10, and I'll show you why. Luke chapter 10, verse 41. And you know me, I'm going to say it like 11 times, so just it's okay if you missed it. Luke chapter 10, verse 41. And so while you're turning there, Luke chapter 10 is this story that some of you probably know who have been in here a longer time, but some of you may not. There are these two sisters named Mary and Martha. And Jesus and his followers come to their house. 
Okay, and, and there are all these people in this house, and Martha is running around stressed out like crazy, trying to get everything cleaned and everything cooked and everything in order, and everybody accommodated and everybody cared for and everybody looked after and everybody comfortable. She's doing all of these things, which in and of themselves are not bad things. They're not bad. She's doing all these things, and Mary, her sister, so while Martha's doing all these things, Mary, her sister, is sitting at Jesus' feet, just listening to him talk. And Martha comes over and says, how can you let Mary do this? How can you not let her help me? Tell her to help me. I'm stressed. I need help now. I have to finish these things. Why don't you let her help me? And this is what Jesus says. Look at Luke 10, 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Sound familiar? You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is needed. For Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Okay. Jesus did not, and this is huge, Jesus did not say that any of that stuff that Martha was doing was bad. He didn't say that. Christianity is not an invitation to laziness. Just trust God and forget the rest. It's not an invitation to laziness. Work has always been part of the plan. Adam was charged to work the garden before the fall, before sin came in. Work's always been part of the plan. The problem is this. Did you hear what he said? Martha, Martha, only one thing is needed. Martha's problem was not that she was working so much. Martha's problem is that her soul thought it needed these things. If I can get these things done, if she could get these things done, then her heart would sing. If I can finish these things, if I can do these things, I need to do these things, then my heart will sing. Her heart needs them. It's rooted in them. It's rooted in the wrong thing. And Christ says one thing is important, and Mary has found it. Christ is saying Mary realizes that the one thing that is needed is time with me. Prayer helps us. I'm just going to read this part to you. Prayer helps us organize our hearts to follow after what our Father wants. Prayer organizes our hearts to help us follow after what our Father wants. Prayer gives you peace at night before bed because... Why does it do that? Prayer gives you peace at night before bed because through prayer, we figure out the things that are important. And then when we do those things... The extra stuff doesn't weigh as much because it becomes just that, extra stuff. And you say, and, and this is where we want to talk because it's, it's a, you, know, you say, this sounds great and this is cool and the music's been playing and this, is, and this is great, I'm having a good time, but prioritizing prayer sounds awesome. But outside of these four walls, I can't do that. I'm just, I'm just too busy. I am. I'm just too busy. And I hear that. So let me put it to you like this. It, take everything you have to do, all your schedule, everything that you have to do. Tomorrow morning, if someone at school that you have a crush on comes up to you and says, hey, would you like to go on a date with me Friday night? Are you going to say to them, gosh, I don't know, I'm just so overworked. Are you going to say that to them? Is that, is that going to be your... No, you're not going to say that to them. I'm just so overworked. No, you're not going to say that. And here it is. You will make that a priority because you care about it. You will make it a priority because you care about it. Here it is. 
We say, and you guys say this a lot too, we say that we're too busy to do anything because we're busy doing everything, right? We say we're too busy to do anything because we're busy doing everything. I can't do this until I do this, but I can't do this until this is done. I can't do this because I was asked to do this. And you've kind of got your hand halfway in everything. You know what I'm talking about? And it just drains you. And you don't feel like you've done anything. Your hand is kind of halfway in everything. You know what that really means? It means there's not a single thing in your life that is important enough for you to make it a priority. Too busy to do anything because you're busy doing everything means that there's not a single thing in your life that it's important enough to you to make it a priority. Take the time. Make it a priority. And here's what happens. You hear me say that. And here's another thing that I just want to hit real quick before we go to the next point. A lot of times we don't like this idea of routine prayer. You get up in the morning and pray because you're supposed to get up in the morning and pray. And pray. That doesn't sound good. I want my prayer to be spontaneous. I don't want it to be a set place and time because you're afraid that it's going to become routine. And, then, and it's going to be dry and you'll stop caring about it. And I get that. Here's the ironically cool part of that. If you really want to make prayer, prayer time, be it 10 minutes or 30 minutes or somewhere in between, if you want to make prayer a priority in your life, you're going to have to fight for it, right? You're going to have to fight to keep it a priority on busy days. You're going to have to sacrifice things to make it a priority. And here's the thing. I'm afraid that I won't care about it. Sacrificing for your prayer time, fighting for your prayer time, even when it's dry, that's the ultimate way of showing that you care about it. You won't stop caring about it because you'll continually do the ultimate thing that shows that you care about it. And here's the thing. The more you do it, the more you fight to prioritize for it, you're going to start caring about it. And there's nothing you can do about that. That's the way life works. You will begin to sacrifice for things. When you sacrifice for it the first time, you're going to see, it's actually more valuable to me than this is. And then you'll do it again and again. And before you know it, the value is growing. You see that? You sacrifice, the value raises. You sacrifice, the value raises. And before you know it, prayer becomes very valuable to you. That time becomes valuable. If you sacrifice when you don't care about it, eventually you will begin to care about it. So, we've talked about listening to God. Ah, spoiler alert. We've talked about talking to God. So that's the first point. Now let's move into our final point, which is listening to God. Okay? Prayer is talking to God. Now let's talk about listening to God. And we'll see, and you'll see how the, how the Bible flows into this. Okay? So, what do you picture when I say listening to God? Because it sounds very spiritual and very important. Listening to God. Do you picture like, like, you're, like you're praying in the morning on a mountain and there's like violin and you don't, you, know, you don't know where it is? Like you're listening to God? Or are you like doing yard work and the lawnmower bursts into flames and God is speaking to you through the burning? Like, in, like with Moses, like he's speaking to you? Maybe, probably not. But one thing, when I say listening to God, one thing that I'm sure a lot of you are probably picturing is a time when you did try. Like when your pastor said, listen to God. And so you, you go home, you close the door, you sit on your bed, and you close your eyes, and nothing happens. And so you wait, and so you must be doing it wrong, and nothing happens, and nothing happens. That's listening to God, apparently. Listening to God is one of the most frustrating and misunderstood 
parts of the Christian life. And it's a reason a lot of Christians don't pray. Because they try to hear God and they don't hear anything, so they quit. And I understand that. It's actually a lot easier and a lot more helpful than you think it is. So let me, let me show you how to listen to God. This is the secret of life. I'm going to show you how to listen to God right here. Okay, If you want to listen to me speak, okay. if you want to listen to me, of course you have to listen. But I have to use my words. I do. Or else you can't hear anything, right? You can listen as hard as you want, but if I don't use my words, you don't hear anything. If you want to listen to me, I have to use my words. If you want to listen to God, he has to use his words. And you say, that is so, I've tried, and it's so frustrating. And I understand that. If only there was a way that you could find out what God has to say. If only there was a way that you had access to Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And then you guys are done turning and you can just, you can just relax. Luke chapter 1, verse 3. And, and it, this is important. If you, if you have a Bible, read along with me um, in your head, obviously. Luke 1, 3. Here we go. It seemed, and this is Luke speaking, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, Theophilus, so that you may remain lost in the dark and silence during your prayer time. It doesn't say that. Verse 4, I wrote these things, verse 4, so that you may know the exact truth. I wrote these things. I researched these things. I paid attention to these things. The Holy Spirit is in me. And I wrote these things in here so that you may know. So that you may know and be able to see and be able to hear what God has to say. And how, do you, how will you know that? Well, I wrote it down. This is where you hear and see and know. Listen to 1 John. And you don't have to turn there. Listen to 1 John 3. 1 John 1, 3. What we have seen and what we have heard and what we proclaim to you also so that you... Let me back up here. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. That means tell. We tell you also. So that you may have fellowship with us and indeed friendship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What we have seen and heard, I'm telling you so that you can have fellowship with Jesus. How do you have fellowship with Jesus? Through the words that I'm telling you. Well, John's not around anymore. We, can't t- we don't know what he told. Yes, we do. Right here. Through this. This is how you see God. This is how you listen to God. And it's not some crazy spiritual thing. This is how you listen to God. Through his word. If you want to listen to me, I have to use my words. If you want to listen to God, he has to use his word. And he has given us his word. This is why it is so important. Guys, you're never... You're never going to know anybody. You're never going to grow closer to anybody if you don't talk to them. And you're not going to do well talking to them if they don't use their words. This is where the Bible comes in. This is why we have to read his word and know his word. Because it's in here. Because listen to what happens. You say, he's, he's God and I'm me. My prayer requests are not even that important why would God listen? Does he listen? Does it really matter? And, and, I, and I say, yes, it matters because I'm supposed to say, yes, it matters. But you need something a little bit more concrete to show you this. 
that your prayers do matter to God, that He does understand what you're saying. We just talked about the Word of God. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the Word of God, and He became flesh. He became, Jesus Christ is the Word of God, and He loves you so much that He became like you, so that He could see how you see things, and feel what you feel, and worry about what you worry about, and think about what you think about, and go through what you go through, so that when you pray to Him, He could say, I know exactly what you're talking about. The Word became flesh so that, one of the reasons He became flesh, is so that when you pray to Him, He can say, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's how we know that God knows what we're going through. Through Jesus, He literally felt things that you have felt. You know when you update your phone or your computer um, and you have that big thing that pops up, it's the iTunes license agreement? You know what I'm talking about? It's this, like 650 billion words and like you don't even have to scroll to the bottom anymore because they put this little thing that all you have to do is click agree and then you just move on. We think the Bible is like that. We think it's this big long thing of important stuff that's not totally related to our lives and all we really have to do is say, I agree, and, and that's it. And we're done. And we don't see the Bible as water. We don't see it like that. What does Psalm 42 say? As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, Lord. We don't see the Bible as comforting like a warm blanket or like the shade of a tree during summer. We don't see it like that. But it is like that. It is like that. Um, When we see the Bible, the Word became flesh. Jesus, the Word became flesh. When we see the Bible, we see Jesus. And so through the Bible, we see Jesus, and then we pray, Lord, make me more like this. Make me more like this. Make me more like Jesus. And, and he does, and it hurts at times. Growing roots is a slow process. Becoming rooted is a slow process, but roots never grow backwards, and they always grow deep. So let's pray, and then we'll be finished. Bye.